Legends of hairy creatures stalking the forests and edges of civilization have been a key part of mythology and folklore since humans first started telling stories. The oldest story in the historical record, the Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh, tells of Enkidu, a wild hairy man that the hero Gilgamesh defeats but ends up befriending. Along their path, the goddess Ishtar sends a divine bull, but after Enkidu and Gilgamesh kill it, the gods murder Enkidu. And after seeing this death, Gilgamesh is prompted to search for immortality. The presence of these hairy men is what prompted the first great heroic epic, but this is by no means the last time the wild man would make humans search the forest for their presence. Stories of Bigfoot-like creatures are shared all over the world. In Nepal, the creature is known as the Yeti, or what we sometimes call in the West the Abominable Snowman and has been a staple of their oral traditions since time immemorial. In Tibetan culture, the mountains are thought to be deities that take the form of wild men, and the mountains sometimes will send out the Yeti, which is known in Hinduism and Buddhism as the Raksha, which punishes transgressions. Elsewhere, Bigfoot is known as the Yowie in Australia, the Skunk Ape in the Southeast United States, and has countless other names across the globe. The First Nation tribes of North America have had a long history of Bigfoot. The Kwakutl tribe of British Columbia tells about Zanuqua, a hairy giant who lives in the faraway mountains. Like the Yeti, Zanuqua punishes bad behavior as she carries a basket that she uses to abduct children, and then she takes the children to her house and eats them. The native cultures of British Columbia are one of the great origin points of our obsession with Bigfoot, and the name Sasquatch comes from... Halkomalem, which is a language that is spoken in the region. The story of Zanuqua is eerily similar to European stories about ogres, who are said to be fearsome and evil. In Charles Perrault's Hop of My Thumb, we are introduced to an ogre who is said to eat babies. It is in the story that we hear the familiar line, Fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman, be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. One of the most famous examples of Bigfoot in Native American culture are the hairy man pictographs of the Yokuts and are associated today with the Tule River Indian tribe. Located in California, these pictographs are painted into rocks and depict important stories, many of which hairy man was at the center of. In fact, it is thought that these pictographs show creation itself. We can't be certain when the pictographs were made, but they could be 2,000 years old, or perhaps as young as 700 years old. The pictographs show Harry Man as sad, with tears down his eyes, as he is often sad during the creation stories. An unusual aspect of the pictographs is that the Harry Man is shown with a family. Oftentimes, people think that there is only one Bigfoot out there, but many would be surprised to know that the most famous Bigfoot, Patty, from the Patterson-Gimlin film, is thought to be a female Squatch. And if the so-called flesh-and-blood camp is correct, and Bigfoot is the survival of a thought-to-be-extinct hominid like Gigantopithecus, 
then Bigfoot needs a breeding population and resources to survive, such as food like any other animal. Among the Yokuts of the Tool River, Hairy Man actually decides how humans should live. The story goes like this. Eagle, who plays the role of God, asks each animal how people should be. Each animal gives an answer that puts them in a favorable position. Fish says that they should swim. Hummingbird says they should be fast. Eagle says they should be wise. And Coyote says they should be smart and tricky. But Hairy Man says that they should walk on two legs. All the other animals agree, but Coyote is furious that another animal was judged as being wiser. So Coyote challenged Hairy Man to a race, with the winner deciding the nature of people. Hairy Man knew that Coyote would cheat, so he stayed back with the others to make the people. When they breathed life into the people, they were afraid of Hairy Man, which made him very sad. Coyote came back and became very angry and drew himself eating the moon. Every animal took their turn drawing themselves, and Hairy Man drew himself with tears because he was sad that the people were afraid of him. The story is very interesting because it shows why Hairy Man and people don't get along, and why Hairy Man has gone into hiding, but it also paints Bigfoot as being part of the natural order of animals. Like Hairy Man, not all stories are about wild, hairy creatures that paint them in a negative light. In Britain, the Green Man has been a symbol of rebirth. Also, the closely related wood woes, however, do not receive such a high treatment. In Gawain and the Green Knight, Gawain comes across a woodwos, pins it down, and stabs it through the neck. Tolkien also drew on these traditions as he included a race called the Druidane in his Legendarium. These stories take us across the world and tie together many seemingly unconnected traditions. But how did they end up becoming Bigfoot, the mercurial wild man that we are obsessed with today? That question is what we seek to answer on this episode of Mythic Existence as we track down the history of Bigfoot. Our modern preoccupation with Bigfoot largely comes from the 20th century when it seemed that less and less was out there to be discovered. One of the most famous Bigfoot encounters came in 1924 near Mount St. Helens. A group of gold prospectors were hoping to strike it rich when they came across a group of gorilla men near their cabin. One of the men shot at the creature, but this evoked the wrath of these Sasquatches, as later that night their cabin was attacked by giants. The men reported being assaulted with rocks, knocking one of the prospectors out. The prospectors brought back forest rangers to examine the scene, though they weren't convinced. Still, stories had circulated among the natives and the lumberjacks of that area about mountain devils, so their story was hard to dismiss entirely. 1924 proved to be a big year in Bigfoot lore. That same year, another woodsman named Albert Osman claims that he was abducted by a Sasquatch in British Columbia and held there for six days. Like the Oregonian prospectors, Osman reported that his campsite had been disturbed for several nights. While he was asleep, a Sasquatch came into his camp and he awoke to a family of Sasquatches. They kept him in their hidden valley until one day the father got into some of Osman's tobacco and became ill. Osman was able to escape, but he kept his story a secret for fear of how the story might sound. However, in 1957, he came forward and the press caught wind. Skeptics aren't fully convinced of this anecdote, and they point to the lack of food and resources that would have had to be there to keep him alive. 
The fact that Osman came forward in 1957 may be no coincidence when looking at the full history of the Bigfoot saga. Easily the biggest year in Bigfoot lore is 1958, and once again, an outdoorsman on the West Coast is at the center of the story. Jerry Crew was working in Northern California when he discovered enormous footprints that he said were 16 inches long. Crew came back and told the foreman what he had seen, and several of the other workers at Bluff Creek said that they had their own stories about Giant Hairy Man. Quickly, it became clear that something was making these tracks, and the ones Crew found were not the only ones. The press caught on to Crew's story, and the Humboldt Times wrote an article titled Giant Footprints Puzzle Residents Along Trinity River. It was in this article that the name Bigfoot was introduced to the world. That was not the end of the story, though. In 2002, a man named Ray Wallace, who worked at Bluff Creek, died, and his family revealed that he had allegedly made the footprints with wooden casts that he had made. Like Osman, Wallace had held on to his story for years and refused to let it go. Bigfoot's rise to the mainstream continued a few years later in 1961 with the release of Abominable Snowman, legend come to life by the cryptozoologist Ivan T. Sanderson. In this book, Sanderson argued that these hairy men had lived all over the world. Sanderson's work reached a wide audience, most importantly among them Roger Patterson, who traveled to Bluff Creek and began to interview people about their experiences. In 1966, he self-published a book about Bigfoot, but his big break came in 1967 when he teamed up with Bob Gimlin. The pair traveled on horseback through Bluff Creek when they came across a Bigfoot, and to their account, they recorded it on video. This became known as the Patterson-Gimlin film, and it is by far the most controversial piece of Bigfoot evidence. Proponents of its reality note that you can see the creature's breasts, as well as movements in its musculature. Dr. Jeff Meldrum notes that the, its stride indicates that it has a mid-tarsal break, which is a distinct aspect of its feet that humans would not be able to recreate. The response to the film has been incredibly multifaceted. Even noted cryptozoologists like Bernard Hevelmans, the founder of the field, was skeptical of it. John Napier, primate expert and author of Bigfoot, the Sasquatch, and Yeti in Myth and Reality, concluded that Sasquatch must exist, but he argued that the evidence pointed to this being a hoax. Considering that Patterson had a pre-existing interest in Bigfoot and that the sighting took place in the same area as Jerry Crew's original footprints, it does seem suspicious. Still, there is something inherently curious about the video, and in the end, it is either a real Sasquatch or one of the 20th century's greatest hoaxes. Naturally, people who study Bigfoot have proposed many theories as to what the creature may be. These theories vary wildly, and as a whole stretch from purely flesh and blood scientific theories to more woo-woo theories that argue that Bigfoot is a supernatural being. Our first theory is that Bigfoot is Gigantopithecus, which is the name given to the giant ape that exists in the fossil record. Gigantopithecus is thought to have gone extinct during the Pleistocene, but the fact that it is a scientifically accepted creature means that it is often accepted or seen more preferably by the pure flesh and blood camp. The discovery of Gigantopithecus itself has a certain romantic allure. In 1935, Professor Gustav von Konigswald was in Hong Kong, sorting through dragon's teeth at a local pharmacy, as one does. 
While he was there, however, he saw giant teeth that he recognized as being ape-like. It was among these alleged dragon's teeth that Gigantopithecus was first identified. The idea that this giant ape could have survived and become what we know as Bigfoot is certainly interesting. The geographic area lines up as many of the bones were found in China, not far away from the Himalayas. However, as John Napier points out in his book, there are some problems with this theory. First is that the only evidence in the fossil record are teeth and jaw bones. We don't actually know what Gigantopithecus' feet were like. It is entirely possible that Gigantopithecus was not bipedal or that it had comparatively smaller feet. Second, Gigantopithecus is known to have lived for 10 million years, but the evidence ceases to exist in the Pleistocene, so it would seem that it has gone fully extinct. And lastly, it is not clear exactly how big Gigantopithecus was. While it certainly had large teeth, it is unlikely that it was in excess of 8 or 9 feet tall, as Bigfoot is often reported to be. The second theory is that Bigfoot is Paranthropus robustus. This relic hominid is a robust Australopithecine, which is the scientific term for southern apes found in Africa. Because it is robust, it is larger than other extinct hominids from the area. Remains of Paranthropus robustus were found at the famous Olduvai Gorge and indicate that it lived for a period of around 3 to 5 million years. With these extinct hominids, we are posed with a troubling yet simple question. What happened to them? To my knowledge, the working theory is that environmental competition and the introduction of Homo sapiens ultimately proved to be their downfall. But those who believe that these hominids became Bigfoot-like creatures argued that they were pushed to the fringes of nature and up to the hills and the forest, where they are often reported today. Other flesh-and-blood candidates include Neanderthals and Java Man, but I find them less convincing than Gigantopithecus and Paranthropus robustus. But this leaves out a central point in the Bigfoot enigma. The creature is often viewed as a supernatural being, and this is a point that I don't think should be ignored. Bigfoot is often connected to other paranormal phenomena, such as the infamous blue orbs. People report seeing them disappear, walk through portals, and communicate telepathically with them. The fascinating book Where the Footprints End shows how reports of Bigfoot behavior mirror other supernatural entities from folklore. The book uses the term Wildnessgeist to describe the similarities they have with poltergeists, such as throwing objects like stones. Bigfoot is often similar to the fey folk, as the Tlinga of Alaska believe that the sound of Bigfoot's wail is an omen of death, just like the Irish Banshee. The list of similarities between Bigfoot and other paranormal entities goes on and on, but the main thesis is that they are spiritual in nature. The idea that they are spiritual entities is often connected to the passage from Genesis in the Bible, which states that there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. Proponents of the supernatural or spiritual thesis propose that Bigfoot is one of these biblical giants, which are called the Nephilim. One of the proponents of the supernatural argument is Ron Moorhead, who was among those who recorded the infamous Sierra Sounds. His book, The Quantum Bigfoot, articulates this point by arguing that Bigfoot, as a spiritual being, is able to connect and manipulate the quantum world. Personally, I'm not sure if we'll ever have an answer to the Bigfoot enigma. 
The fact that stories about the hairy man have been shared for thousands of years across the world and continue with sightings today indicates to me that there is something deep and important in the story. When someone looks you in the eyes and says that they have seen a Bigfoot, what are you supposed to do? Perhaps our ancient traditions with extinct hominids have been ingrained in our psyches and stories and that we continue to pass them on. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mythic Existence. Please be sure to leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on and follow Mythic Existence across all social media platforms for more content. I've been your host, Jack Daly. Thanks for listening. See you next time.